having our very wonderful special guest of Vic Vijay on the Extremos podcast today. So Vic, you're about 12 plus hours ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, this is an absolute joy to be on here. I do love your podcast. Uh, you know, I, I follow it um, quite, I do, it is one of the list of podcasts that I do follow and uh, it was quite nice to reach out to you guys and actually kind of be on here with you. Yep. It was reading your messages in the morning. It was quite literally about 3 a.m. in the morning. I hadn't gone to bed yet. So it was, well, let's see if this happens. And oh my gosh, it's happening. And now it's officially here. So this has been in the plans for a couple of weeks now. Obviously, time constraints with personal trips and also, you know, being seven hours ahead of us across the pond. But otherwise, yes, it's been a great pleasure chatting with you and getting you over here so the the forum is going to be a little bit different today not no top 10 stuff because we currently have the number one player on the episode today and the L- and lvo is coming up literally the end of this week mm-hmm. That's uh, it. i sure hope you have a safe flight here Thanks. so i think the point where we can start out today is just going back and covering your games at Nottingham because you sadly did come in 11th. I mean, it's still a big event. It still has you in the top spot of the ATC. So at that point, it just overall, like how did everything go for you at that event? Yeah. So I think uh, maybe just to give some context to your listeners and yourself on, on Nottingham GT, it was one of those events that just before LVO and it somehow ended up being 390 players, which is actually a, an absolutely huge event, even for the super majors that we tend to have in the, in the UK. Um, and it, it's the largest super major outside of the, the London Grand Tournament. And going into the event, me and uh, my good friend and co-host on the Fireside 40K podcast, David Gaylard, we both were in quite a good position on the ITC rankings. And there was a good opportunity to gain some points here going into the LVO. So... Um, this event was quite a useful and important one for us. And uh, we both went in with very similar armies running the Thousand Suns and Flamers build that we'd ran at the Leicester Super Major. Um, and pretty much identical lists. We've gone in and I I actually did achieve the kind of results I was looking for. Um, I, I went four wins and a draw which put me at the top of the four-win bracket in 11th place. Dave managed to absolutely smash out five games, and he did make the top four cut. He lost to Mike Porter in the semifinals, and uh, he ended up in fourth place. The difference in ITC points between 11th place and fourth place is eight ITC points. Mm-hmm. And Dave gained about 34 points, and I gained about 26 points. Um, so both of us gained like a really good amount from this. And, um, you know, I think I've got about a 20 point lead on Jack Hobster, which really helps. It at least buys me a few positions of space. Yeah, it's 29 point something points. Tasty. So it's, it's quite literally doing when me and Eric were chatting about it last week, we, we kind of figured that between you and Jack Harpster or really anyone in the top five of the ITC right now, you guys would have to drop no more than maybe five points in order to secure your spot. Because we all know for a fact that a good chunk of you are going probably go undefeated in the first day, which we all know gives a big point multiplier. And then you're going to continue going undefeated for your fourth and then maybe fifth round. And then the sixth round is where it gets really scary because that's when you start running into everyone else. Yeah, for sure. And I I would make a point, you know, you obviously mentioned about, you know, you came in 11th place. And I remember in the previous podcast, you said you stumbled and came into 11th place. And it wasn't like an insult. I know that. But I just wanted to give some context on these very, very large events where there is so much lack of predictability Mm -hmm. in terms of pairings and even just dice rolls and things. Very easy to find yourself in a position which you hadn't expected and it could be at any point during the tournament. Obviously, it becomes more likely towards the end. And I think a big part of it is setting realistic expectations and realistically, even the very best players only have one element in their control, which uh, is, you know, making less mistakes than your opponent. 
The meta mm -hmm. is pretty fixed, so list advantage doesn't become a huge factor. And then all the other factors are out of your control. You know, you could, I could hit John Lennon and Jack Hofstra around one and two. And uh, all yeah. of a sudden, my win rate is, you know, going to be, it's going to be a 50-50, <laughs> which is anything can happen. Yeah, it's, I know as I talk, I tend to just kind of say words be, that make it sound interesting, which <laughs> I mean, stumbling into 11th place would be something like me going five and one in LVO. That's a stumble of lucky dice rolls and high scores. But the, the fact that you ended up in 11th with pretty stable scores from 86 to almost a hundred. And then your last game tying at 86, that's no small feat for anyone. Yeah. And it was an awesome game to finish on, to be fair. Um, I think, you know, both uh, all, like, I'd say pretty much all of my opponents across this tournament played as well as me, um, which is a, a big testament to the skill level that we tend to see in the UK events. Um, mm -hmm. Across the, it goes very deep into the tournament, like um, all the way through the mid tables, you send, tend to see people playing very good lists and playing them very well because the level of competition tends to be high consistently through all of the major events. Um, so, you know, I had very good opponents. And, um, you know, it's no surprise to me to hit an opponent where I was on the back foot through most of the game. I was the one who scraped the draw, not Liam, my final opponent. Liam managed to just about let me get the draw with a few lucky dice rolls at the end. Yeah, because as I look over his roster, he is taking more of the chaos soup kind of thing with bile and flamers because mm -hmm. obviously it looks like you guys weren't using the updated balance slate and everything else that came out i think like the day before your event yeah for sure that's it exactly same, same as lvo so this ends up being a, a really great practice event for lvo yeah so it I, I would imagine the that brick of 10 terminators is just a terrifying mess to deal with <laughs> <laughs> for liam or you mean just generally <laughs> no just general i've i've shot playing my custodes at for our local league here i've played into word bearers that had a blob of 10 possessed with mm -hmm. the black rune and everything else and yeah it it hurt a lot <laughs> For sure. I, I mean, I think the Chaos Space Marine... So I was playing Emperor's Children prior to switching over to Thousand Suns. And the Chaos Space Marine Terminators definitely have more layered buffs on them. You know, minus one, two, and five of Feel No Pain. You're bringing guys back. A lot of things which the T-Suns um, Terminators don't have. But the mm -hmm. T-Suns Terminators have very good shooting and very good mobility. On top of pretty good durability. Um, so yeah, similar kind of thing, but they play really differently on the board. Yeah, the the last time I played against Thousand Sons, it was pure Thousand Sons, and the guy also brought along Magnus. Oh, that was like a 400-point investment that didn't really get to do anything until turn three. Yeah, ouch. He, yeah, he, but his list was really skewed because he brought 20 Terminators and Magnus. Yeah, nice. And he Dark Crystalled one 10-man Terminator unit into a building and... In my first shooting phase with my custodes, I think I ate six of those Terminators. That's it. They disappear a lot quicker than people expect. Um, mm -hmm. And the meta can be a little bit hostile to them at the moment because Tau does tend to be quite prevalent in the meta. And at some point, uh, I know in America, you've got Thomas Ogden, who tends to play Crisis mm -hmm. Suit Heavy. In the UK, we have Nassim, uh, who tends to play with some Riptides. And the Riptides with the Ion Accelerators uh, and Multi-Trackers, so they get exploding sixes on units of size six or more. Mm -hmm. um, actually, they absolutely rip through um, the, any, any form of Terminator. Yeah, because all their guns are base damage two or three at least, so yeah, you don't get the all is dust bonus on the Terminators and you just kind of watch them literally get sucked into a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah, they melt, absolutely melt. So overall... I know FLG also covered this event and obviously it's the biggest event in the, well, one of the biggest events in the UK series because you go from here to LVO. I'm curious how you feel about uh, Games Workshop doing their own world championship thing. Cause I don't, I know Innes Wilson who attended the Nottingham GT, I believe is on team Scotland. Correct. Um, I don't know about you, David or Nassim who, like, I don't know if any of you guys play at the WTC stuff, but this, how do you feel about the Games Workshop 
doing their own world championship stuff. Yeah, so um, uh, so David is going to be kind of setting up Team New Zealand this year, uh, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Uh, and me and Nassim are newly on Team England this year. So we do have a little bit of a kind of a look into WTC. Um, I'd say uh, I, I don't know what the politics is behind, like why and what has kind of gone on, but I have this little suspicion that it may be linked to all of the, the kind of drama we saw in the run-up to LVO. Um, there was a lot of confusion involved there. And then all of a sudden, once the confusion was sorted, we then hear about the world champion, the way they u- are using that as a season ender. In my opinion, I think it does differentiate quite a bit from the WTC purely because it's singles versus teams. Uh, if I'm correct, there's no teams element to the GW one. Well, the yeah, for the as I call it the WCW, mm-hmm. the they are it is a singles event, mm-hmm. but one of the qualifying events that's at least over here in the US is a teams event. Cool. Okay. So it, they aim to have 170 qualifying players at the championships so it's going to be the team event and then two singles here in well yeah a team a single and then the grand narrative event but they also will probably consider things like nova and other major events like adepticon and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i mean so my i'm actually really happy that things like this are being introduced. And it just legitimizes competitive 40K more and more with each extra layer that's added on top of it. The ITC rankings is a very rudimentary kind of base level of um, kind of adding more flavor to competitive 40K. But then when you start introducing things like what FLG are doing with their little kind of, you get a few buys and stuff and you get a different lounge if you do well at an event. And uh, now GW having invitational events running across the whole year. And um, those things just make it, give it that kind of eSport vibe, which is quite cool. And I think, you know, four or five years down the line, that kind of stuff will only continue to develop. Um, So I'm pretty excited. I wish I'd started competitive 40K like five years in the future. I think it would have been really awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it would definitely be really awesome. And a side note, Raymond was actually able to join us. So he is actually in the room right now if you feel like introducing yourself ray hey ray (laughs) so yeah the competitive 40k in the next few years is probably going to end up actually getting notoriety Mm -hmm. because of the fact that obviously you have people like tom holland and henry cavill who are celebrity personalities who play it we don't see them actively playing it but they probably get it (laughs) they get a game in whenever (laughs) they can but you have players like yourself john lennon not avadi and most of the other Art of War guys who are known across the globe for things of 40k. So there's no reason for us to not have more populace of just, oh yeah, no, I'm going to play 40k because it's a really great game and it has a really great community, which is very true, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm still playing it after teaching myself how to play four years ago with 8th edition Necrons. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So I know Ray has been in the game longer than I have, but that man has army ADD to the maximum. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, you, you got, got everything, Ray, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. So the moving on to some other actual planned questions. I mm-hmm. know Anthony Vanilla on the TFG radio podcast also mentioned that the chase for ITC points can be really exhausting. I don't know how you would deal with it, but I'd probably be going insane with trying to grind out, okay, I need five more points from this event. I need six for this one need seven for that one <laughs> well the the thing is it's done over six events so the first six events you go to uh you, you just kind of just go and play the, the tournament and to be honest for me that continued probably to the first 10 events and then oh it's only really nottingham where i was like oh you know what i can try and get an advantage for las vegas before that i just think it's so un unreliable to kind of win events um, there's so many uh, like unpredictable factors, like I mentioned before, to winning events that if you just link the outcome of tournaments to your kind of enjoyment and happiness of the game, you can, you can really go into a downward spiral that's very stressful and exhausting. And ultimately, at least for myself, and it's kind of the thing I try and instill on my friends and the people around me, is that we are doing this as a hobby and it's got to be fun. We enjoy the competitive side, but you can't let this game become stressful and a negative energy in your life. 
Otherwise, you'll just kind of take yourself down a rabbit hole where either you'll become a bad sportsman, you'll create a bad reputation, or you'll just not enjoy. I hope that kind of made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it made complete sense because yesterday was the league championship tournament for our local league for the winter season. And I barely squeaked in and I ended up getting seated into the guy who eventually won the league championships. And that game was not stressful at all. I lost a resounding 46 to almost 90 points. It was a big loss, (laughs) but it wasn't stressful playing into Harlequins. (laughs) Then my next game was probably the most aggravating game I've ever played. Not because my opponent was bad. He's a really, really nice guy, and we are really, really good friends outside of it. But when you watch your your Trajan Valoris fail six out of seven four up invulns and ends up taking 21 damage to the face. (laughs) Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, I that game I spiraled down pretty hard into a grumpy energy and I, I lost the moment of enjoying it as a hobby because I was stressing out about trying to win the game. You know, it, it surprises me to hear you say that because you've obviously been playing the game for a very long time and I'm sure there are many moments where you have done exactly the same thing to your opponent. <laughs> yeah, the I know there was one game at Smite Club Open. I went into a custodian mirror match. Mm-hmm. My opponent moved forward killed nothing and in return i picked up two dreadnoughts and four bite okay Okay. and my opponent literally went uh (laughs) what (laughs) so it's it's definitely a i just let the the competitive drive take over a little too much and it ruined my day Mm -hmm. along with a few other people but i was able i was able to come back to that not this is just a game this is a hobby that i enjoy playing in round three and i may have lost that game too but I was able to come back to that normalcy of this is a great hobby. We all have bad days and it's fine. That's it, man. Do you mind if I go on a little tangent here? Because this is kind of, I've got an interesting point in my head. Oh, sure. Uh, Absolutely, Vic. Go ahead. Do you remember there was this pro tabletop series? It was like a, mm-hmm. a big cash prize. They got all like the top players in and yeah, it was. It was... Yeah, it was the original esports attempt before Art of War became the actual Art of War coaching service and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So at that time, I think uh, I personally felt that 40k was in the wrong place, especially competitive 40k. There were a lot of moments where, especially people going on stream, there was examples of bad sportsmanship, significant rules mistakes, which were potentially intentional, things like that. Generally, the game wasn't in the right place for kind of streamed games at a very high competitive level. Over the past two years, I've seen a massive shift in the way that people play the game. And there's a very positive energy, especially at the events in the UK, of people being good sportsmen, allowing people kind of take backs, not being too stressed, not too strict. And it creates such an awesome thing for people to view and enjoy. Um, and I think now if we were to do something like that, and I'm sure that's the direction the game is going to go in, I think it will be an incredible viewing experience. If you imagine kind of like Dave Gaylord playing against Jack Harpster streamed uh, like as a big thing, I, I would like pay money and tune in and watch that. And there can be significant money on the line for those kinds of things. And I know that those guys will play the game the right way without putting too much mm-hmm. pressure on themselves at the stage we're at now. And I think it will only continue to get better with time. Yeah, I completely agree with that because I've I've watched stream games with um, one of our teammates, Ben Jurek, from when he won SoCal with Orcs, mm-hmm. Orc Supremacy in, in California. Woo! <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but Ben, he was really chummy with the Tau opponent that he was playing. And there wasn't a lot of any arguments or anything. And it's Ben is a good example of someone who keeps you honest and is still really nice to be around the the farther back example i'm i'm sad that i never got to meet him is jeff robinson he sounded like the man that you could sit there and have beer with and then as soon as you try to do something it's like but that's not how that rule works (laughs) (laughs) yep yep so i definitely agree that maybe in the next two years definitely we'll have actual streamed events where 
people go, oh, yeah, no, this is really entertaining to watch. Let's watch this instead of, you know, League of Legends or whatever. Sure, I'm quite excited to see the direction. And maybe we can get Ray on with his painted Votan. Who knows? Let's go, Ray. (laughs) Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza, decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So, they're from reddukegames.com, and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes, and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. Um so another question that Eric had prepared overall for this because he sadly couldn't be here like i said mm-hmm. is very much the the approach to the game i think you kind of covered this in general where it's kind of unpredictable but your general approaches to thing of a game whether it's you versus a mission or you versus an opponent because i know the matchup is kind of dependent on how you play thing mm-hmm. but your general approach on going up to a table like if you bring your thousand suns and flamers up against something like knights how does that differ from going into something like Dark Eldar, that kind of logic. And I think this kind of thing, uh, for anyone at any level of competitive 40k, there are some things you need to analyze about yourself during your development as a player. And, you know, I'm still developing as a player as well. Um, And there are certain strengths and weaknesses in the way that I play. And that kind of dictates the choices that I tend to make in games. Over time, I've progressively got a wider and wider playstyle where I feel more comfortable, like being more aggressive or being more passive. But as as an individual player, I tend to be much better at kind of the overall strategy of the game. Um, like I'll see, like okay, I need to go in that direction. That that would be obvious to me. What won't be obvious is how exactly I'm meant to split up my shots for optimal efficiency, and you know what the mathematical probabilities are if I do this versus this. Um, so that means that I tend to be much better if both players stand off from each other and we play a passive game. Usually I can kind of work out what the points are and I know in turn three that I have a good chance, like a high chance of winning this game purely on strategy. So I always try and engineer that situation if possible. Um, on certain terrain formats, it's much more feasible to do that. You know, if you're playing on WTC, UKTC, or kind of heavier Vanguard tactics, a lot of the UK terrain sets are very heavy. Mm-hmm. I, I can engineer that. On lighter terrain pieces, like, uh, say, Las Vegas Open, where it's a little bit variable, there's going to be a much more aggressive style involved. And uh, it might not suit me, but I think, you know, 
at some point you have to realize if you play a passive game and lose too many resources, you can't actually win the game and you just have to go for it and try and do a bit of damage on the side. Uh, so it's super variable. And I tend to play armies which emphasize the ability to be able to switch between an aggressive and a passive. Uh, so I, I don't know if I, I don't think I answered your question exactly, but I kind of vaguely went around it. <laughs> well, it's it's that those questions are very particular and in depth because I know like playing on abandoned sanctuaries that one is whoever goes second has a higher chance of winning because of the free five points in the middle of the table for sure but if your army is not adept at playing the long game so like for instance my custodes are very much a if i can be aggressive i can throw my army at you and hopefully it just survives because invulnerable saves are amazing although if my army just fails those they disintegrate and then i just lose the game because i was too aggressive so there are moments where you know i see i see people make a mistake like this a lot um where they're like right the only way i'm going to win this game is if i frontline everything go forward try and have enough left in my army to win the game the turn after the problem is in some matchups, the probability of that succeeding is extremely low. The The actual probability of your opponent making a mistake somewhere tends to be higher if you can kind of shift it into turns three, four, and five. It's very intensive on yourself to do that, but I would always recommend players, and if I was giving advice to people, is don't frontline and threat saturate. That's a very high risk thing in the amount of damage involved in the game at the moment. Try and just be a little bit patient, you know, tuck into cover and wait for turn three. Everyone makes a mistake. People always make mistakes, and they will give you an opportunity to try and grind out points. The probability of success with that tends to be a little bit higher uh, if the opponent has a big list. Of- yeah, I know with obviously Tyranids are still going to be the menace that they are at LVO mm-hmm. this year. So we'll probably end up seeing a whole bunch of spore mine spam and everything else going into that. And thank goodness it'll be probably the last we see of it. But uh, the issue is definitely going up against something like Tyranids where they can st- easily start playing passive because they don't want you to go first but if they go first they literally just create a wall of spore mines or a wall of warriors or whatever and it forces you to not be able to get into the midfield and then the second turn they literally jump on you with a hive tyrant and it's (laughs) no fun after that gosh it's awful (laughs) so it's you actually did answer both of the questions in a way that was a much more feasible way to think about it is it's not a mission versus you versus the mission or you versus your opponent it's you thinking about the entirety of the enigma that is going to be that game of because like i've seen thousand suns armies be aggressive where they literally throw your terminators at you turn one you're just like all right fine (laughs) and then you eat the terminators and you go out and do whatever but at the same time you see i've played against dark eldar where they're super passive for three turns and i go like what what aren't you doing and then that's when they drop like three raiders on me and i fail a leadership test and i lose a whole bunch of guys so it's it's definitely the more logical way to think about it if you try to go up against the entire strategy of the game not a specific part sure and i think uh most players and this is myself included are not able to get a huge volume of practice games in to be able to understand what exactly happens in every single situation um so you know, don't be scared to be a little bit creative with it and just try something and try and see the outcome, especially if the alternative is I'm almost definitely going to lose if I do this. Let's try something else, like uh, just stretch the game out a little bit. I always try and like I've said this in a few other podcasts, so hopefully people haven't heard this before, but there's like a thing you can do where you see a little situation and then you like click out once and look at like a slightly bigger view of it. And then you can click out again and see an even slightly bigger view of it. Like if I ever get stuck and I'm like, oh, I'm going to lose this game. I just click out a couple of times and just have a look like at the, at the massive picture and see if, you know, okay, there is like one way over here where I can kind of squeeze out another four or eight points in two turns time if I can just keep this unit alive. And then suddenly you're like, you're playing in a different way. You're playing like, I need to try and just grind a few points out. And this unit is the key to doing that. You don't see that if you don't look at the bigger picture. Yeah, that is definitely something that is a much developed skill from some people. I know I get a little tunnel vision every so often because I got 
I got first turn charged by a blob of six Scorpex destroyers yesterday. Okay. That that entire unit got eaten by over, way too much, and I forgot to charge a Canoptic Spider over on the other side of the table because of that tunnel vision. And I know Ray has probably run into some issues in the older editions of him playing where it's like, well, do I do this? Do I do that? Like, because... I haven't seen Ray get a whole bunch of practice games just because his schedule is a lot weirder than mine. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I think um, there are some top players who grind out a huge volume of games and they learn every single situation. And there are other ones, other players, and I think the majority of players who can maybe at most get one game in in a week, um, you know, if they're lucky. Uh, so, you know, tournaments is their main kind of practice. You go to a tournament and you play it and the first two games are your practice games for the other three. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how yeah. it feels sometimes. Yeah, that is definitely true. I am very prone to showing up to a shop when I have a day off and going, I'm playing three games today and there's nothing anyone can say about it except for my legs. <laughs> but otherwise, the moving away from turn like tournament ideology and everything else in in general, with how Ninth Edition has felt, and a lot of people are mixed on whether or not this is better than Eighth Edition was, or if it's worse, because people can have their own opinions and they're entitled to them. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty okay place. But Tenth Edition, there's a lot of stuff a lot of people would want to have. And what are some of the things that you would want to have, Vic? Oh gosh, I mean, I, I'm struggling to understand you know, the massive game changes that might be involved. For me, it always feels like I look at whatever edition we're in. So I look at ninth edition where we are now and I'm like, oh, I wish they could just tweak this, you know? Why is the point scored for the person going second so skewing in this mission? Why in the scouring are all of the objectives outside of the deployment zone such that it skews the mission? Those little things, they've had like four or five chances to improve Mm -hmm. and... You know, it still highlights to me that the secondaries and the missions are still not ideal. They have improved significantly with game balance, I think. Um, They had a horrible run in ninth edition of extremely broken codexes, which which are really tough to deal with. They completely ruin the competitive meta. They managed to catch the Votan one with enough community outcry, which is extremely positive for the game because that shows that, you know, they do care about the meta, the, the health of the meta. Um, so, you know, I would love to see 10th edition kind of streamline and improve the game. I always have this hesitation with the way the GW approaches things because they have a 50-50 chance of either doing things beautifully, like they did with the first balanced data slate, or mm-hmm. doing things awfully, like some of their game design I- ideas. Um, so... You know, I'd love for them just to get the whole package balanced and correct, but it's very, very unlikely. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you're saying that GW has to roll a four up for good game design. Pretty and so much. far, so far, their dice only have one, two, threes, <laughs> and maybe a four on it somewhere. Yeah, it was like a six up. We've got to about a four up now. Yeah, the I know in general, the, the thing that I personally want for 10th edition is a way for terrain to actually be better applied because craters and forests both have minus two to move but only forests makes you minus one to hit and craters are give you light cover there should be more like categorical columns of like oh if you are a building these are the keywords that you have and it's just a flat this is this because having (laughs) having keywords get being given to certain things like the situation of having an obscuring forest that's a little obnoxious because it's dense cover and obscuring i know what you're saying i i mean personally i would say terrain is about the only thing they got exactly right in ninth edition like i think they nailed that with the transition between eight to nine because the introduction of the keywords to terrain and in a format that allows tos and players to kind of personalize things the way that they want to has actually worked out really nicely. Um, I think, you know, issues with it have come up, for example, in the WTC, there's these vents and these Mm -hmm. vents are dense cover plus light cover. And they're too powerful without being difficult terrain, uh, difficult to move through. Mm -hmm. And 
that is a problem of the event, not of the rules design, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's definitely just me speaking of initial thought of, well, if... Because I know in 8th edition, it was basically X things had X things attached to them, and people were abusing that because everything had like six buildings on it and you would go for craters and then you would only use full chunk block obstacles and whatnot. So that way you could hide Mm -hmm. behind everything and forests didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now stuff that is just really obnoxious looking. So like some Eldar terrain kind of stuff where it's all beautiful curvy stuff, but it's super not functional to hide behind. Oh, (laughs) just make a dense cover. It makes you minus one to hit. Because it's hard to shoot. That's something that they definitely did get right, was the the keywords being spread across things. I just, I guess what I want more categorized is the unit types and how they can benefit from these things. Or if they're eternally excluded. Because things like, I remember in 8th edition, vehicles had a way to get light cover as long as they were 50% obscured by the building. Yeah. Now vehicles don't get light cover, which is fine because they're they're vehicles. That'd be really really silly having a land raider with a one up save. <laughs> but things like bikers rarely ever get any kind of cover because of the fact that they don't benefit from buildings, they don't benefit from craters. All you can really make them is minus one to hit or hide them. That's really about all you can. You're right. There's there's definitely some room for optimization with this. It is a little bit messy as a system and uh, kind of p- potentially a little bit oversimplified as well. Um, talking about oversimplified, I don't know if you've seen the uh, kind of World Eaters rules leaks and things. Oh, I, I have. I, I <laughs> pretend that most of them don't exist because of the fact that I'm just going to have Angron on my shelf. He's going to be painted <laughs> and he's going to be pretty. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, I, it's, I, so I said it in terms of actually being quite positive about the potential rules design because uh, I understand that they massively simplified the amount of stratagems. There's only like eight stratagems or something uh, present. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of fluffy. I hope that's not just a fluffy choice. I hope that's actually like a, a game's design choice because each of those stratagems is impactful on the game. And I, I kind of like that if they narrow it down, put stuff onto data sheets like they do in AOS. So if that's the direction they're going, I think that will work. What I would love them to stop doing is mistakes like they made with Flamers, for example. Zinch Flamers at 25 points is immediately and obviously incorrect. Void Weavers at their ridiculous points cost when they're released is immediately incorrect. Mm-hmm. And that level of kind of incompetence is something that is like inexcusable, in my opinion, because it completely ruins the game. Um, so I hope that they focus or at least have some eye on that kind of stuff uh, and try, try and get on top of absolutely ruining certain units by making them too cheap or too powerful. Yeah, like for instance, um, the Kasserkins from Guard, the, <laughs> they themselves, 100 points for a 10-man body with... Or whatever on paper doesn't sound bad it's the layering of everything else that goes on top of them that makes it a super efficient unit for a hundred point yeah. and like yes the blood tithe table from world eaters is probably going to be really scary because of the fact that you generate them all the time when things die but that's restricted to the number of units that are on the table yeah exactly. so you you cap out at X number. And yeah, sure, bringing back Angron is scary, but at the same time you're already paying like 400 points or whatever for Angron. You're not being able to bring a whole bunch of other stuff because of that. It actually looks quite good the rule set because there was something they were doing in 8th edition which was actually quite good which was they introduced kind of, for each positive, there's a negative attached to it. Like this Mm -hmm. army will be really good at shooting but they can't fall back and shoot. That kind of stuff was a very good game balancing tool, which fell by the wayside about the time when AdMech came out. And AdMech had this thing where you, yeah, you guys can have fight last, fall back and shoot. You can teleport out of combat. You can have all of these tools, which end up kind of making your army unmanageable. Uh, World Eaters is quite good because they give them kind of half of the melee tools. They give them Mm -hmm. um, kind of like massive damage output, but also fight on death, but not a fight last. They don't have an access to any source of that. And And I hope that they keep those kinds of things in mind, balance things. Here's your strength, but it comes with this kind of weakness. 
you can't have fight last and fight on death. Otherwise, you'll become like uh, uh, Emperor's children. <laughs> yeah, the that is definitely something that is a healthy way because I I tend to not look at leaks because of the fact that overall leaks get my hopes up, and then when something falls flat, it's like, well, this was completely wrong. Like when the Custodes book was coming out with Tau, people were terrified of the Tau book, and mm-hmm. people said that Custodes was a terrible book. It wasn't going to do anything, and then we saw something like a month and a half of Custodes just running around with 12 bikes going, <laughs> well, you can't kill us because we can turn off rerolls and everything. Like, but that was Knockman when we had a whole bunch of command points to spend. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, Custodes kind of like how world eaters at least internally is balanced from the sounds of it is in a nice healthy place of we're semi-balanced we're still a very strong book because of the fact that these rules exist but we're not an invincible 75 percent win rate issue <laughs> yeah and custodes are kept in custodes will be stronger in arcs of omen in my opinion and I think they're kept in check by the slightly weak secondaries that they have access to. I think if they had one good secondary, they would be a very, very powerful army in the new yeah. uh, meta. The, and that's another thing that I actually do like about the balancing that is going into Arcs of Omen is they're giving everyone the same amount of secondaries outside of Space Marines where you have the three from the Codex and then one for each specific Subfaction. Yeah, I. I mean, I have a massive problem with their game design on secondaries, because uh, like there are two things which make my boil my blood boil in this mm-hmm. in terms of secondaries for this new kind of um, arcs of omen, and one is the guard secondary, um, mm-hmm. the inflexible command one, which they buffed, uh, and the second one is the iron hand secondary um, codex warfare. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Uh, not, is... not the Iron Man, it's just the Space Marine one. Both yeah, of those it... are absolutely ridiculous. Like you can look at them immediately and it just immediately know that that's going to kind of make these two armies absolutely top tier. They're another level compared to everything else. And the problem with that is those two problems are introduced because of a print cycle on the Arcs of Omen book, which has everything else is digital. Those secondary objectives are not digital. So they have been designed on a completely different meta and a different time to this. Perhaps when they were written, there wasn't even an idea that the balanced data slate had to have this stuff in it. And over and over again, we're going to keep getting problems with the secondary objectives if they keep printing them inside of those books rather than doing them digitally. Uh, So yeah, that's my rant. (laughs) Well, it's, it's definitely something that we've heard from other people that if you do everything digitally, then it updates as things evolve naturally, you're not having to wait six months for it to be to be analyzed and then printed and then realize that it's no longer an issue. Like how we saw Gene Stealer Cult with Muscle Beach go from being, oh, yeah, no, this is a big issue to nothing during 8th edition because it, they they nerfed it into the dirt mm-hmm. and then they nerfed it again six months later. Like It was just a really bad idea. So if they did everything digitally, then at that point we could see stuff like you go from one event where the Iron Hand second uh, Codex Warfare goes, no, it's just an Iron Hand secondary. It's not Marines. It's just Iron Hand. But Codex Warfare goes to goes from the, that thing, the next event, they've updated it to be more restrictive. So you can only cap out at getting something like two or three points a turn mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah. where it's a little harder to actually max out on because I know for a fact that if Iron Hands got their first shooting phase and they destroyed enough units in the first shooting phase to just instantly get 15, it's that's not a healthy design and people are going to complain about it again. Mm-hmm. It's obviously been designed with the idea that Devastator Doctrine is only for one turn and you're meant to cycle through all of the doctrines and get the points for each one, mm-hmm. uh, which actually makes it a very balanced secondary and it makes sense to even increase the points gained from it. It's obviously not designed for Iron Hands being in Devastator Doctrine the whole game. Yeah, it would be the same kind of thing of let's take, um, but that, 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 let's go with Chaos Knights. If they got to, if they didn't have to progress down their dread table, and they could just pick what they wanted to be in, the table would be useless. So this is an exact opposite thing of being able to stay in the one thing that you like the most, where it's at the later parts of the game, knights are terrifying because they get to 
take all of their buffs later, but they have to make it through the game in order to get there. That's a really healthy balance choice where they're at full power later in the game, but they've probably lost models along the way. So I am a little bit worried going, like I'm fully focused on LVO, which is the Nephilim uh, book. Mm -hmm. So I I haven't had like had to deal with that problem yet, but I can, I'm like, I'm not very positive about um, going into this with how powerful I think Iron Hands and Guard are. Um, I think they'll be uh, meta-defining, to be honest, in an unhealthy way. Oh, yeah. It'll be the 8th edition Iron Hands list all over again mm-hmm. that the, I believe it was the Brohammer guys concocted. Yeah, that was Art of War. Yeah, before Art of War was all over the place. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, I'm definitely in the same page with you there. The The secondaries, some should be allowed to score 5 every time. Some should be restricted to three, so that way you actually have to do them every turn. And some of them should just be capped out at a certain amount, because otherwise it's incredibly unhealthy. The See, the thing with the secondaries is they're extremely important for game design, because they encourage you to play a faction in the way narratively the faction should be played. And that's probably the biggest strength of having well-designed secondaries. The problem is they have to kind of balance that between also the like a game balance perspective and how powerful it is in game. And I think over and over again, they've kind of messed it up a little bit, um, mm-hmm. the secondaries. It's okay, um, but I would love to see them just like really spend a lot of time giving each faction maybe one competitively strong secondary and two kind of like interesting secondaries that make you play the game a certain way. Um, and just have an even balance across the the board with that. Uh, instead, they give some factions two really good secondaries, and some factions like Custodies nothing, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks. Because then, uh, or Eldar, for example, you just don't take any of the Eldar ones, and you just kind of like play behind enemy lines R and D and engage, uh, yeah. or something like that. You know? Yeah. Same thing with Tyranids. You, I've never seen anyone take any of the Tyranid secondaries because the army is just so efficient at destroying things that you take two killing secondaries, and then one thing that you don't have to interact with your opponent at all, ever. Yeah, there's loads of room for design in that. And, um, you know, give, to, give Tyranids like an awesome kind of buff to cranial feasting so that that's a really cool way of them playing. Uh, and no one will complain about that as long as you get the rest of the game balance right. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my... Uh, my Oh, gosh. Me at the start of ninth edition ranting about secondaries? Gosh, I was I was a menace. <laughs> yeah. I At the start of ninth edition, I was living off of the fact that, yep, nope, I get to have guys walking around with three-up invulns because custode shields hadn't been changed yet. So... <laughs> But I know, Ray, since you haven't gotten a chance to play very much, the the Votan secondaries, they I think most of them are fairly balanced in the fact that they They're all fluff. equally bad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a nice blunt way to put it. <laughs> but it is I think the Votan secondaries is something that was a low ball. And then you have really good secondaries like the balanced data slate necron ones and the the disparity is just atrocious sometimes but otherwise that's we're going to get off that tangent of secondaries because okay. that's a rabbit hole that we all can go <laughs> down for a while the the one the other question that i i've come up with is outside of iron hands and guard being unhealthily unhealthy and oppressive for the game at the start of arcs of omen where do you think the meta is going to shift because world eaters is going to look like a strong book aside from the fact that they have to get there in order to hit you with it the the other armies do you feel like they're going to be left behind in arcs of omen for a good chunk of them and there's maybe a few golden apples that made it through along with guard and iron hands and stuff so I think from a win rate perspective, if you would purely look at that, I think it's unlikely that Guard and Iron Hands will be kind of as broken as, say, Tyranid's Harlequins were. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they'll reach those levels, but they will probably have a disproportionate amount of tournament wins. Um, I think the meta overall will show a few other factions able to play. I think Tau will still be excellent. I think Harlequins, you know, they, they had a durability decrease, quite a significant one. Um, but the Arcs of Omen detachment and also the fact that Armor of Contempt is gone is, is a 
quite a significant buff for them. Their secondaries got just slightly worse, but they still have an excellent suite of secondaries. Um, so primary control, secondary control, and better output. Overall, I think Harlequin still stay as a very strong faction for a small number of players who can play them correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's still going to be a few factions that are playing right up there. I think Custodies also are excellent from uh, just overall. This is All these changes have been good for them. The data slate's nice for them as well. Um, orcs are incredible. I think orcs are one of the ones which are right up there, maybe just under Iron Hands and Guard. Um, I think they have incredible secondaries, and Armor of Contempt going just opens up so much damage output for them. Um, so I think maybe I'm being a little bit too negative. Now that I've said all that, I'm kind of reconsidering how negative I am about how the meta will be. I'm more just disappointed with certain secondary choices than I think the overall health of the game being very bad. I think it will be fine it'll be quite a, still pretty fun um, yeah and i think even eldar with hail of doom that might be back in action as well so there's, there's there's a few things to explore i think the first few months will be interesting yep it'll be a nice toss-up of the meta so with that um we've actually surprisingly reached almost an hour <laughs> okay <laughs> and that is sadly where we have to cut our time for today sure. i wish i could chat with you a lot more vic because it is very, very enlightening chatting with you. <laughs> no problem, Rob. Thanks thanks for having the, the chat with me, Robert. Yep. So, again, thank you for being here. We hope to see you at LVO with maybe a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, whichever one you wake <laughs> up with in the morning. And we'll probably run into you on in the gaming space at LVO. And... I know I'll be there along with the rest of the Smite, with a good chunk of the Smite Club folks. Sadly, Ray and Eric won't be able to attend this year, as far as I can remember. But yes, it was a pleasure to have you on. And for all my listeners, this is myself, Robert. And Vic. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Extremist Podcast today, and we'll come back to you in about two weeks. Two weeks.